Coming up, we have Esther Crawford, CEO and co-founder at Squad. You'll discover how she pivoted the company to its current form, how she got initial users on Instagram and the type of ads that work the best, and finally, how hitting the top charts in smaller countries allowed her to have a network effect. This episode is tactical and inspiring, just the way I like it. Stay tuned. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Want to double your downloads using ASO? Check out appmastersacademy.com to discover our exact ASO strategies to grow your downloads. That's appmastersacademy.com. Check out our other company, copymasters.co, where you can get unlimited copywriting from blog posts to ebooks to email newsletters. Our trained writers will help you scale your content. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content in the app business. And I got to tell you guys, when I first saw this app, it was featured on the app stores. And I was like, this is a brilliant idea. Can't believe it's featured. It's amazing. So I told my team, hey, whoever the founder is, we got to have her on the podcast. And so my my trusty team right, reached out and found this guest. And I was like, okay, we have to interview her. It took us a while to get there, but I'm super glad that we finally got there. So let me introduce the guest. Her name is Esther Crawford. She is the co-founder and CEO at Squad. It is an app that allows you to share your screen with anybody in the world. And I mean screen when I say iPhone screen. You can share with anyone in the world. Esther is came into the tech by way of being an early YouTuber. So that's that's amazing. She found success as a content creator. She's a pioneer in social video marketing is now the CEO of Squad. Esther, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So Esther, let's just start from the very beginning. Like how does Squad come to be? So Squad is actually a pivot out of um, another product. Um, my co-founder Ethan and I started this company almost three years ago. We worked for two years on a different product and Last summer, um, we still had 18 months of runway in the bank. We, we weren't in like dire straits at all, but, um, you know, we, we didn't have like massive growth and retention with our first product. So we were, you know, feeling a little down as one does, uh, yeah. in this entrepreneurial journey sometimes. And my daughter who just turned 14, her name is Emma. Uh, she was, complaining passively to me, uh, as teenagers sometimes do. Uh, and she just said, mom, it's super basic that I can't go live on my phone and just show my friends what I'm doing. And I was like, that is kind of basic, Emma. Like, why is that? Uh, and so really the spark of the idea came from that conversation with her and follow-ups with friends and my co-founder Ethan. And that really became the question we came out to uh, sought out uh, a solution for it, which is, can you do this? Why hasn't it been done? And uh, what does it feel like? So yeah, we built a prototype and were really blown away by the experience and felt like it was fun and different. And there was something about that innovation, like around social screen sharing that felt like, okay, there's a product here that could really resonate. And so 
after a little bit of uh, thinking about it and talking with our investors, we ended up pivoting the company in this direction. So that is how we ended up building squad. How did you know, I guess before the pivot and making it known to the investors, like I'm, sh- I'm assuming that you use some of the resources of the company to like kind of figure this out and build that prototype. Like, how did you know there would be something here and how do you know, like, okay, maybe let's take a little bit less focus of that first company and then let's focus a little bit more on squad. Pivoting a company is really hard. Um, especially when you are a couple of years into something, it's really different if you've invested weeks or months and you scrap it. But, you know, we had developed IP, we had trademarks, we had bought a really fancy domain, you know, we had done all the things. Um, We went through White Combinator, we'd already raised money for this idea. And so there was a lot of pressure internally, and even, you know, to some degree externally to continue down the path. But we, I think there was like a, there was a real sense inside of me having spent two years on that product, uh, that something fundamentally wasn't working. And what we felt was true is that the technology, the core underlying technology was going to take three, four plus years to develop. And we just didn't have that much time. And so that created a lot of like existential angst inside of me. Um, and it's not that there weren't, other options for how we could have kind of could have tried to um, build out that product further or made some breakthroughs. But um, the decision to like tinker and spend a little bit of time on the side tinkering with other ideas felt like right to us. Um, We had really invested serious time and effort into our previous product. And so, um, yeah, we talked about it and we it started out as really like a 20% project and got this prototype working and that was when the aha came of this is actually really cool and magical. And so then became the then there was like the the process of having to admit to ourselves that we were going to pivot the company and ultimately I think one of the things that made that possible is that Ethan and I have really separated roles. I trust him as the CTO to make the engineering decisions and I lead product and design and he really trusts me to ultimately make decisions on the product side of the business. And so, you know, at the end of the day, it was really going to be my call to make. And I did a bunch of soul searching and felt like this was the right choice. And you don't always know. In fact, you don't know when you make a decision like that. But what advice that I got that I thought was really, really helpful and valuable came from a, uh, one of our investors, uh, Michael Seibel, who's the CEO at YC. He said to us, look, if you decide to do this, you just have to stick with the pivot. You can't go pivoting over and over again. So if you really believe in this new thing, um, then go at it as hard and as passionately as you did the first product and give it time. Know that it's not probably going to work three months from now. So when you're three months from now, you know, starting to feel the pain of this new product, uh, you don't get to give up. You don't get to change courses. And so that was really, really valuable advice that we took to heart. And so once I made the decision that we were going to put all energy and resources into squad, we said, there's no going back. (laughs) And that's what we did. 
That's amazing. Was there any tips that you can give like other founders that may be in the audience who, you know, that conversation with your investors, was that a tough conversation? Like any tips that you can give to the founders out there? I think it was, it was tougher for us than it was for our investors. Um, so, you know, there's all this, like all of this, like emotional turmoil of having to say, you know, that thing that you invested in me to go build and do, I don't think it's going to work. Um, and I'm actually more passionate about something else. Uh, this, that's really can be really uh, difficult. But I think that the, the key is to have an ongoing dialogue with your investors about your progress over time. In fact, I think one of the things that is so key that was really hard for me to do during some of the lower points was keeping investors updated, like actually sending out regular updates saying, here's what's going, here's, here are the highlights, but more importantly, here are the lowlights. Here's like what's, what's not working. And so then it's not a surprise to them if they hear, oh, you know what, like you're, you're actually leaning out of this. Mm. Um, and then I think in terms of the actual conversation, uh, once you've made the decision, being direct and saying, this is what I, as the founder uh, and CEO of this company, has decided to do really matters. And so there were a handful of investors who I had the conversation with early to say, here's what I'm thinking. I would love your advice and input on this on this decision. And then once the decision was made, I was really direct with everybody else. And what was cool is all of those investors um, universally positive and encouraging, even though they had invested in a previous product, they were like, Hey, Esther, you're actually what we invested in. And an early stage company, we understand that products change and more information comes in and maybe you end up going a different direction. And you and Ethan are the people who were backing and we believe in you. And so hearing that from them at a tough moment was so relieving and really um like a really beautiful experience to be honest and so yeah i would say that was i guess that's my advice <laughs> i love that Esther. i mean the big takeaway for me was you had the conviction you said hey look i am the ceo like you invested and i'm here to listen to you but i think this is the direction that's going to be a bigger play that i'm more passionate about and we're going to do this right and i think hearing it from them they investors always say this like they're like hey we're always back in the horse like not the you know so they're backing you and Ethan. And it's like, but hearing your conviction, I, I, that was my big takeaway. Like have that conviction. Like you got to be convicted yourself. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, don't do something like pivot your company <laughs> unless you're, <laughs> unless you're really convinced of it yourself. And, and that can be hard to do. So I think, yeah, spending some time really understanding if you truly believe in it, um, is like the first really important step. It's so funny that your daughter gave you that idea. I've got a 10 year old, almost 11. And I'm always like, Hey, what would be cool? You know, like I want his idea. I'm like, what would be cool? Just, and then I'll just ask him that. Like, what would be cool? Because when I first saw your, the app being featured, I was like, this is brilliant. Like, how come this doesn't exist? Like I, th I had the same type of reaction as Emma when you, as you did when Emma was like, how come I can't do this? I'm like, yeah, that's true. Like, and, I, and then I started thinking like, why would I want to do this? I'm like, well, I'm not a kid anymore. So I know why kids want to do this. Yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, I think that's the that's one of the the tricks of being an entrepreneur is actually just listening to the people around you and assuming like with humility that you don't know all the answers and that you're not going to have all the best ideas. Um, 
So bringing people to the table around you, whether they're um, people outside of your like normal circle um, or people who you, uh, I don't know, like I feel like having access to folks who are not just like you actually matters because if you already know what your opinion of something is, but what really matters is like what other people think. And so um, being able to listen carefully and uh, lean in and ask good questions, be curious. I think curiosity goes a very long ways in designing and building, especially consumer focused products. Yeah. And I, I think with an app like this, when I first downloaded it, I was like, wow, this is very well designed. And I could see your product sense coming through Esther. Like, is there a feature that you're most proud of? Like we had to get this one right. Because I would assume that the fact that I'm sharing with everybody, there's gotta be some, you know, server load. And how do you really do that so that people feel like they're sharing it? Like we'll use a bad example, the Skype. I feel like they have the crappiest screen sharing of all possible. Like nobody ever knows how to find it, but like, there's got to be ways that, what are you most proud of from a product or a feature standpoint? Yeah. I mean, I think that we've, we're constantly iterating the app. So from like literally a few weeks from now, the app is going to look a little bit different than it looks now. And, and that's because nothing is ever done and we learn things that don't work and try to make them better. And sometimes we make them worse. And so we revert the changes, you know, I mean, it's all yeah. over the map, but that's, that is really the, the, the process for us, especially being a, a small scrappy team um, with a huge market opportunity ahead of us. Like we have to move fast and innovate quickly and that's our advantage. Um, but so, yeah, I think one of the, one of the things I'm proud of is just this really simple um, button in the middle that says screen share. And it's super strange that it, that that would be something I'm proud of, but um, it took a bunch of times to figure out like how plain and simple can we make it. We started out with the screen recording icon and um, we tried different layouts. And anyways, finally it was like, oh, you know what? We should just put the word, like let's ditch the icons um, and let's just put the word itself. And that has made an enormous difference in people understanding how to find the core thing to do in the app. And so one of the lessons that I learned in that is label your icons inside of your designs, even though it might look as a designer a little more cluttered. If the usability dramatically increases, then you've added more value uh, for the end user. And that's what actually matters. Yeah. So, yeah, don't get too cle- don't do get too clever, I think, was the, the takeaway for me in that process. I love that tip. I have a great designer friend of mine and I'm like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he's like, well, if you think about it, it's very clever. And I'm like. I, I can't see it. Like, you know, like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know where to click. I don't know what to do. And he, sometimes just spelling it out really does help. Yeah. Yeah. So I know one of the strategies that worked for you guys was initially seeding that user base through Instagram ads. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we, when we first had an MVP ready to go uh, a few months after we had started building it, we realized that we needed to take it out of test flight as quickly as we could and put it in the hands of real people because our small group of users, our friends, family, um, Emma's friends, were not going to be able to get us the kind of feedback at scale that we'd need to really understand what was working and what wasn't. I think the other piece to this, um, one of the other reasons we decided to put it in the app store, you know, really, really early was that we felt like 
people who know us or are attached to us are going to give us positive feedback uh, simply because they have an emotional connection to us. And so we just wanted to get really unbiased, brutal, unfiltered feedback. And that went a long ways. So uh, the first challenge was, okay, how do we get a couple thousand people who we don't know to download this app? Um, and so we started by targeting teens in smaller cities in the U.S. through Instagram ads. Um, I tried a bunch of different formats, but specifically the kind, the one kind of ad that worked really well for reaching our target demo of teen girls was short form videos. Um, I made a couple of these. So like I said, I tried a bunch of formats, but then this one in particular worked and I made it in screen flow myself. Um, yeah. took some, yeah, like took some sketch files, put it into screen flow, um, made it into a GIF and the GIF was like 10 to 12 seconds long and it had one targeted message. And that type of ad. And then one of those specific ads, um, led to a tremendous increase in installs from really great users who invited friends, stuck around, had had solid retention. And so with only a few tweaks, we got an ad that cost us 20 cents an install for a really good, strong user, which is like incredible. Um, So we didn't end up spending very much, but um, we spent a few thousand dollars. And then those real users gave us all of these insights in the earliest days of building the product in a way that probably, actually I can say definitively, we wouldn't have otherwise done if we had been developing in isolation. Um, One of the things that they taught us was that users would often open four to six different apps during a single screen sharing session. And so one of the, the lessons for us was that, oh, screen sharing is actually just this lower barrier of entry than a, than a traditional video chat into hanging out. Um, and so you might come in originally to show your friend something that's funny or interesting, but then that's actually just an excuse to then stay on and video chat and hang out together. So, um, that was like a really important insight, like a behavioral insight that has transformed how we think about the product and the use cases around it. And then the ultimate value that we're providing, which is not to, you know, coordinate with people, but actually to give people shared social experiences. Did you guys figure out like what they were using the most, what they were sharing with the most or like, yeah. Did you figure anything out from those users? Yeah, we did. So, uh, we, we found out that it was solidly social apps, um, that were, being used as like the primary drivers of engagement. So specifically Instagram, um, Snapchat, iMessage, um, and then to a lesser extent, entertainment and gaming. So like games, uh, mobile games, but not really the high fidelity Fortnites of the worlds. Instead, they were lower fidelity games, um, like the would you rather things like that. Um, and then on the entertainment side, it was like watching TikTok videos together, watching YouTube videos together, um, and for the, for the college age users, it was going into dating apps together. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, also window shopping. So like opening apps and that you could like check out clothes, but not necessarily making an end purchase every time, but kind of like, what do you think of this shirt? What do you, what do you, what do you think about these shoes? Um, so kind of just getting real time feedback and then using that, like I said, kind of like teens used to go hang out at the mall. They might not mm. buy anything, but they're just like, chilling together and it's the excuse to hang out 
we see the same behavior in squad where people come up with an excuse of, ah, here's, here's something to, to show you um, that's funny or whatever. And then they end up just hanging out together. So I sorry. I love, I love doing this podcast because sure. when you hear themes that come up and literally you said the same thing as somebody, as my past guest who said, Hey, short form videos. And he was going like, even shorter, Esther. She was going like four to five seconds long with one main message has been performing so well for us. And you literally said the same thing. And it's like, that's why I love doing this because, you know, certain times you hear advice, but when advice is great, but when themes start developing and you hear the same advice a couple of times and becomes a theme, you're like, oh, this is something that I have to do. And I love the scrappiness because I literally just did use the same thing. I use ScreenFlow and we're creating an Instagram ad for a client of ours and I just used ScreenFlow and did a couple of different things here, little text animations, and then boom, we're gonna be running the test and it's a five second video, so we're gonna see how well it does. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. It was all text based. We threw emojis in and yeah. it worked it worked really well. It was the best, it was our best performing ad. <laughs> yeah. So was it a, a bit did it turn out to be a video? Like because I grabbed a gift too and I have it in there, but then it's a bit ad form it's a video ad format. So actually the format for us that worked the best was putting it as a, um, attaching it as a post. So it was a gift that would, um, that came in as a piece of content. And then we promoted that post and that performed so much better. And I'm not sure why, um, but it was universally true that when we would promote posts, instead of putting them in through the ad interface, mm. that we would get just like these crazy, um, crazy low install rates with really great users. So uh, I don't know the difference on the back end for, for Instagram and how they serve ads, but I just know that for us, promoting content worked a lot better. That's interesting. That's good to know. And was the thinking that, hey, if we target smaller cities in the US, that will get a lower CPI? Yeah, the, the, the other goal was actually around creating network effects in smaller communities. Um, so it's, it's a strategy that we plan to double down on, but, uh, and be creative around how we bring in networks of users. But yeah, so the goal was just, Hey, um, let's see what folks in Tampa are, you know, how they respond to this. Uh, we did a lot of like also suburbs of town of like major cities, instead of focusing on the major cities, we were like, what are users outside of the major cities? How, how will they respond? So it's not like users in, in New York, San Francisco, and LA are any less of real users. Obviously, they're real users. But I'm personally, I grew up in a small town, and I wasn't always exposed to like the latest and newest um, products. And so I think for me personally, I'm always kind of curious and lean towards what do people in other parts of the country, how did they respond to um, new technologies and innovations? And, and so there were a bunch of reasons. Um, also being being able to target smaller towns meant that there you could build network effects more uh, more efficiently. So one of the things that's needed in Squad is for you to have friends on the app. And if you're in a tighter network, then the odds of a friend joining, uh, the odds of you joining and having at least one other friend on the app already go up. And if that happens, you can have the experience. And so there are a bunch of reasons why it makes sense to actually be a little more focused in terms of targeting loca specific locations. I love it. I talk to a lot of people sometimes they, they want to go too big too fast. And it's just like, no, like there's a lot of things that you can learn by just being very, very focused. And I love what you said about being back targeted. Cause I was like, yeah, you do need a lot of friends. So if you're 
if you're targeting ads are like very close to each other, then there's a high likelihood that your friend is seeing the same ad at the same time yeah. as you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Okay. The other thing I want to talk about is you've done an amazing job, Esther, at launching this app. I mean, the way I judge apps are like, how many reviews do they have, right? And you have had over 4.7 average rating according to like April 24th, the day we're recording this, and over 2,000 ratings. Like, what, talk to me a little bit more about your launch process. Like, how was that like? Yeah, and that's only in the U.S. App Store. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's right. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's been great. Um, so the launch process was pretty simple. Um, so we didn't overcomplicate it. Um, our plan was, um, I think a little counterintuitive to some of what I see in Silicon Valley. So let me kind of describe what I often see and then I'll describe what we actually did. <laughs> so, um, oftentimes that I, I, what I see is that, um, Folks, especially in the consumer social space, are really precious about publicly talking about what they're working on. And I think that there are a bunch of reasons for that. Um, probably most notably, if you've had any measure of success previously, there's all of this internal pressure to replicate that success. And if you don't do it immediately right out of the gate, then maybe it is some signal that your previous success was actually just a fluke and like you're not actually as, you know, I don't know, capable or um, lucky or whatever it is, right? And so I see a lot of really super talented teams being in stealth mode for a very long time and not talking much about what they're doing. And so I will say straight up that like we took a very counter approach to that, which was as soon as it was ready to be talked about, we started talking about it. So we put it in the, the app store, like I said, ran some Instagram ads against it, did that for three months. Um, you know, it was not complicated to f figure out who was behind the app because like you could just see it was us. Um, and after three months of having enough time to just build additional features that we saw were really important and iterate around the design a bit, getting it to a 1.0 of just the most basic version that we could start really going more public with. Uh, that's what we did. So in January, we launched it by putting it on product hunt, which is very much not focused on our user base. I mean, right. product hunt is not where you find teen girls. <laughs> so <laughs> like, Kind of the opposite. Yeah. I was going to say the same exact thing. But I was like, uh, you shouldn't say it, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> it's where you find like 30-year-old guys. <laughs> yeah. So um, we did that to push ourselves as a team, Ethan and I, to say like, look, like we're not going to be hiding. Um, and if this doesn't work, like we will find a way to make it work. You know, like it's, it's okay if it doesn't shoot up into the right instantly, even though we had seen during our private beta um, on Instagram that, you know, we were seeing steady usage, but it was really small. So when we publicly launched, we only had a few thousand users and um, we, yeah, so we put it on product hunt and then started to more aggressively push around getting people to invite friends. And we hadn't done anything to help if you didn't have any friends. Um, so we built like a, a simple little swipe game that you would make it easier to invite friends. Mm. Um, and then from there we started asking people literally, if you had 
had a video call and um, you'd spent a certain amount of length of time in a video call, like, hey, will you leave a review? Um, and people started leaving reviews and we saw that made a big difference. And um, the other thing that I did, I did a lot of things that did not scale. So I made every single person who joined the app, the first like 20,000 people became my personal friends on Squat, and I had personal conversations with everybody. Um, and so that also made a big difference because people felt like a connection to what we were doing. And I wrote a, a, I wrote a post um, and started talking publicly about, hey, like the reason behind building this company is actually really important to me. And it's not just um, a product that I think is really cool and fun, but it also solves a core problem around loneliness that I have experienced myself and that has um, that I feel like is really um, important for the world to to make like a dent in that in that um, on that problem, especially for Gen Z, which is the loneliest, most depressed, most anxious generation that has ever been, and so really trying to help our new users come in and understand like why we're doing this and why it matters and what the big vision is. And I actually think that made a huge difference in those users evangelizing us on their own to their friends. And so what we've seen is like completely organic viral growth. Um, we haven't done any like super crazy growth hacks other than, like I said, the one little game for if you don't have friends, you can, um, swipe to find friends and invite friends. But, um, yeah, it's been, it's, I think been important that people understand the people behind the company. And I feel like that actually has made a tangible difference in getting PR and, and having people feel good about sharing this product, this early product with their friends and family. So that is, what we've done and we've just seen like really phenomenal growth that far exceeded what we expected and we've been really excited and also just kind of like, holy shit, mm -hmm. um, you know, like there's a lot to do here. It's very 1.0 still and there's a lot of functionality that we're super, super excited and that we're designing and starting to implement that we think will make the product experience even more dynamic and more fun um, but instead of waiting until those additional features were in, we launched early. And I think that what we've also done is we've really helped to start to create mindshare just the beginning. But this is like one of our goals is starting to create mindshare around us as the place that you go for social screen sharing. And since it's a greenfield space, moving fast and getting ourselves out there makes a tremendous difference. And so we're not like holding anything back. We're just out running fast and hard. And I think um, that is what will help differentiate us in the long run, even as other, you know, services add screen sharing as an add on feature for us. It's like we're going to be the place that you come to do this, to do it really well, to have fun around it. And we'll build functionality that makes it the best place to hang out with your friends in a way that makes it feel like you're just sitting next to them. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, Esther. I love it. The couple of things before I commend you on a couple of things that I've noticed within the app, the, the more tactical th question I'll ask you is you, you told me climbing the top charts in smaller countries actually helped out. What did it help out with and how did you climb those charts? Yeah. So 
smaller countries, um, so like you look at the app, the US app store and yes, we are doing well here. Um, but it's a much bigger market. So it's harder to get into like a, to trend, you know, and so much, uh, so, so much app discovery can happen inside of the app store. So we've been featured as like app of the day and we've been featured in, um, new and noteworthy, um, apps we love. We've been featured in a couple of places. And what kind of happened organically, and it taught us this lesson, one that we're really excited to explore and double down on is um, having influencers in a couple of smaller countries who discovered it, share it with their networks. And then that helped to, um, you know, because in small countries, it doesn't take much to start ranking in, in the app store. And then um, given that it's like a sort of new, exciting type of product, and it works well, um, we started seeing uptick and then we were climbing the charts in like a whole bunch of countries simultaneously. And it was really, really fascinating to watch how that those network effects, those local network effects really, really mattered. So Norway is a good example where we reached number seven in Norway in like total free apps. And that was like amazing. Um, and the reason we got there is like it started subtly and it's a small country. And so when people would invite five, 10, 15 friends, like more and more of those friends who came in already had a couple of friends instead of just the one friend who invited them. So that kind of, um, smaller network effects makes a big difference. And in smaller countries, you have a bigger opportunity to make a dent in the app store, um, charts. And so, it. yeah, that's a, a, that was like a lesson that we've learned in the last few months. So you didn't actually proactively try to find these influencers in these countries. They just came to, they just found out about the app and then they're like, Hey, I got to share this with, with my followers. Yeah, exactly. It didn't, it wasn't something that we, um, we seeded, but it was really great to have it happen because now we're like, Oh, we can do that. You know, right. we, we like, that's replicable. <laughs> right. I love it. The, the other thing that I'll mention that I love that you touched upon is the loneliness factor. You know, one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast is because I get to talk to people and Esther, like I get energy from people and I've been feeling a little bit down. I'm like, why? And I was like, Maybe it's because I haven't done that many podcasts. And so I literally moved back home from my office because, like, you know, this office kind of depresses me because it's like me by myself. And yes, it's an office and I get some separation, but at the same time, like, I'm by myself, right? And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to come home. I've got my dog with me. I've got my kids. I can just hop in if I have a break and see, say hi to them. But that's one of the reasons why I moved back home. And so it's, it's such a key factor. I mean, I'm like 39, so it's like way above the Gen Z, but it's like, it is a real thing. It's super real. Um, it's really, it's, it's, I think going to become a bigger issue for all of us because so much of our lives are being lived online instead of in person. And there's like beautiful things about that. Um, but there are also some real downsides. And one of the downsides is that since we spend so much time on our phones, all of these apps are designed as solo experiences. You go into Instagram by yourself and you have an experience of Instagram that is yours and yours alone. And instead, like ironically, television and movie theaters are these social experiences because you're often sitting down with somebody else and then you have this um, shared 
experience that you then get to talk about and laugh about or like complain about or whatever, but it's like you had that experience together. And so one of the things that, you know, we're really hoping to do is bridge the gap because I don't think people are going to spend less time on their phones. Realistically, that's not going to happen. Realistically, we're going to spend more time in the virtual world rather than less time, especially when things like augmented reality and glasses and all of that comes out. So I think that figuring out how to layer in and design products that actually enable shared experience experiences in the digital world are going to become incredibly important and even more valuable over the next five, 10 years as more of our life gets lived online. Sorry, I was on mute. But yes, I completely agree. Uh, you couldn't have said any better. The other thing I want to commend you with is I love your guys' update notes. And I've noticed that there is, it looks like all females, but a, a female, like a really prominent female entrepreneur or just female in history. And you live a, either a quote or like in other news, Martha Beck was a eighth of seven children in a prominent Mormon family in Utah. And blah, blah, blah. So it's pretty cool that you, you have these in your update notes. Yeah, our release notes. I think release notes are like a really underutilized place to share your company's values or um, like your personality or whatever it is. And so from the very beginning, um, we started adding initially quotes and then kind of like, who are the people behind some of these quotes? And they're all women. And the reason why I decided to do that is because you know, being a female CEO is like a, it's like being a unicorn. Um, less than 3% of venture backed dollars go to female CEOs. It's just super rare. And, um, I think one of the reasons why girls don't grow up to become CEOs is because they don't see other women do it or they don't think it's possible. And so one of my just like stated missions in life is, to bring more visibility to all of the amazing women in history, the women who have come before me to make it possible for me to be here doing this. Um, you know, there are not very many women who have ever even attempted to build and lead a social consumer company at scale. And so uh, I feel like an incredible sense of gratitude for all of the women who've paved the path before me. And I just want to like give them mad props and, um, there, you know, I, I take a lot of effort in finding people who are maybe a little outside of the mainstream. Sometimes they're mainstream folks, you know, like Mother Teresa, everyone knows and all of that. But like, oftentimes I'll pick people who are um, like there was a, a woman who's an animator at Pixar and she won an, won an award for her short short film being like the very first time an Asian American woman had been a director for Pixar. And, you know, it's like things like that where it's like, she's a, she's an amazing trailblazer, but she's not getting as much credit um, as she should. And so in this very small way, our release notes go to like help highlight women who are doing and who have done amazing things in the world. Well, kudos to you. We, we made an effort to try to find more female founders for the podcast as well. Cause I just think, it's important. Have you gotten any feedback from people who read these show notes? And like, besides me, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely heard from folks about it. Um, awesome. I've, I've heard from a bunch of folks and mostly it's been just really positive saying, you know, it's cool that you're trying to do this and, and like bring spark joy in the world in this, in this like little tiny, tiny way. Yeah. Um, but I feel like all of those tiny things 
matter and add up over time. And so this is just one tiny way that we can, you know, spread a positive message out into the world. And I love your app description. You know, we talk a lot about ASO and apps for optimization and keywords and all that stuff. And your app description in the iOS store just says, show your friends anything on your phone with fast and fun screen sharing. That's it. Team squat. It's <laughs> just like that simple. I love it so much. The, the app is out on Google play as well. Esther, anything you want to cover before we hit the big finish? Um, well, you'd asked, uh, you had sent like a little message that asked what my favorite app is right now. Yeah, I will. I'll ask you that in the, in the big finish. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and then we'll be right back. Esther, this has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. Give us one app we definitely have to check out. Okay, so this app has brought me a ton of unexpected like happiness um, and delight, and it is called Joyride Trivia. It's like my new obsession. Um, basically, what happens is during the sign-up process, you opt in with your Uber account. And then every time that you're in an Uber, which for me is a lot because I live in downtown San Francisco, um, a quiz starts up and if you answer all the questions correctly, you win the price of your ride. And so oh. it's really, really fun. And, um, I've been doing it like sometimes when I'm in a pool, I will enlist the help of everybody in the car and it, I turn it into like a game show, um, you know, in the, uh, on the ride. And other times I've actually used squad to like call in a friend and be like, Hey, do this with me. Cause I really want like I'm in an expensive ride. It's 15 bucks and I really want to win this ride. So Joyride Trivia, if you're listening, please, like, don't, uh, <laughs> don't penalize me for that. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's a really fun app, and I love it. So I've been telling lots of friends, like, go download it. It's not even a part of Uber, right? It's just a different that's, company? It's completely just, it's a game com gaming company. And oh, that's brilliant. They, yeah, that's why I love this question, too, because I get to find out about these fun apps that I've never heard about, too. That's great. I love it. What's one lesson that took you the longest to learn? It's okay if things suck. I think that's the lesson. Um, as a founder, you really have to be able to live with the suck because it's not always going to be up and to the right. And I think that for me, the, the irony is that when things are going really well, my inclination is, oh, I'll just chalk it up to we've been working hard and there's good luck here. Um, and then when things aren't going well, I have in the past tended to blame myself. Um, mm. This must be my fault. I am personally failing. I am not good enough. Like, how did anyone trust me with millions of dollars? You know, just all of it. And so that in the in the worst forms of that caused me to outsource certain important decisions and um, I think it really took me time. Like I would say it took me really the first two years for there to be something in me to shift and develop so that I could move past that insecurity and be humble, but more confident in my capacity to lead the team and lead the product. And so now being able to trust in and lean into my own inner compass has meant that things flow within the team and in the product in a whole new way. And so, yeah, it's like, that's been the hardest and longest lesson to learn is like, it's okay if things suck. It's not a reflection of, you know, my capacity to turn things around and 
Um, you kind of have to be willing to live in the uncomfortability of the suck because it's a key part of any startup journey. I love that, Esther. And one thing I started doing, my, my wife has been obsessed with soul cycle and so i've gone to and i've become obsessed and i've been through a part of a suck too and i'm like these things suck and i went through the same thing i'm so glad you said it i started blaming myself i'm like i suck i suck at being an entrepreneur i can't do this this is so dumb i make dumb decisions all the time and then for some reason being on a ride and like pushing myself physically where i feel like i have to give up but i, I just continue to push myself like no i can do this like i will figure this out this is just a temporary thing i figured it out just through that ride because I'm pushing myself, but then it sort of helps with the entrepreneurial side as well. I don't know what has helped for you. Yeah, actually, um, soul cycle. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, yeah, no, soul cycle is, is awesome. And, uh, just having like physical, physical exercise really does actually make a big difference. Um, and eating well and sleeping and like all of the basic things that you think, Oh, well, that's just I mean, don't you just, aren't you supposed to do that as a human, as an adult? And it's like, oh, well, maybe adulting's kind of hard and maybe, maybe it's like, you know, difficult to juggle all of the things, especially when you're a parent, which you are too. So yeah, I think that fi figuring out how to make sure that you take space for yourself is really critical because otherwise that suck feels uh, I think just like more personal than it has to. Yeah. And I found that like, I'm like, I told myself, cause you know, there are certain days where I'll just go into soul cycle while the kids are in school. Like, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. Things are sucking right now. Right. Like I shouldn't be doing this. But then at the same time, like, would I be doing this if things are going well? I'm like, yeah. And so I shouldn't change it. Like if I'm trying to force things out of the suck, then I'm, it's just going to suck more. And my, I don't know, this is just how I feel. But like, if I just think about it and do things as I normally would, and I'll start figuring out if I just focus purely on how to get out of this suckiness, then I'm putting bad energy in the world, in my opinion. And so I felt like, okay, I have to continue to do what I would normally do if things weren't so sucky too, at the same time, while still trying to figure it out, but like not making the focal point of my life either. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely true. I love it. Esther, anything else that you want to cover? Great. The app is called Squad. Check it out. You can find it on iOS. You can find it on Google Play. It is squadapp.io. Esther, you've done an amazing job. You got some amazing VCs as well. Congrats on all your success. And thank you so much for sharing all these little tactical. I love getting in the weeds. And so thank you so much for sharing all the tactical advice. Once again, it is Squad. Find it on iOS and Google Play. Esther, if the audience wants to follow up with you personally, do you want to send them anywhere else? Sure. Uh, Twitter's probably the easiest. I am at, at Esther Crawford dot, or dot com. I am at Esther <laughs> Crawford on Twitter. <laughs> well, Esther's name is linked up yeah. to her Twitter profile. So if you want to follow her there, do that. It is Esther Crawford on Twitter. Esther, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you at the next chat. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.